Welcome to 80s Music Exposed, the podcast in which we review all the best albums of the 80s, one month at a time. We will break them down, give you the skinny, and duke it out over whether you should or should not dig these back out again. If you are ready for an 80s music deep dive, from Public Enemy to Wham, Eno to XTC, Madonna, hair metal, reggae, and all points in between, then Crank the boombox, turn the Walkman up to 10, and ooh, let's go. Now, from the kitchen, Chris and Henry. That was the beautiful sound of the light rail station going by the offices here at 80s Music Exposed. Oh, the offices, I like that. I'm your host, Henry. We'll be here all night playing smooth jazz. Up next, we're going to have a piano sonata in G minor. It's going to be 35 minutes of smooth piano. I'm Chris, by the way. Next on Nightscapes. Nightscapes. I love Nightscapes. Next on Nightscapes. Did you ever did you ever listen to Nightscapes and they would you would hear all these names and you'd be like the guy would run down what's going to happen in the next hour and you knew none of it. Absolutely and none of the be, songs. But there'd be one somewhere in the middle of his list and he would be like the cure. <laughs> or yeah, or, or Octo be, Twins. Or, and you'd be like, what? Did the, he just say Trans-Siberian Orchestra? <laughs> you'd be like, oh, <laughs> or something like that. How did he work that one in there? <laughs> Welcome to our show. Welcome to our show. He's Henry, I'm Chris, and this is August of, of 1981. That, that's Part right. Part 1, Henry. This we've is got, a two-parter again. We've got a lot of two-parters. A lot of good records came out in months and you can't just let them go by. You have to consider them. The summer of 81 was a chock full of good records. Right. Uh so I mean, let's get into it. All right, let's do it. So uh if you like our show or you like the records we're choosing, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify and Stitcher and share it with your friends, please. You can chat us up on Twitter at 80s Exposed at 80SEXPOSED or 80s Music Exposed at gmail.com. Right. Uh, my Twitter handle is at TCI Duke and Henry's is uh, at Hank G, and that's G E E. Henry, how do we pick the records? So we have a method. It's called RAGS, R A G S. That's right. And since we haven't gone over it in a few months, let's go ahead and see. I want to test your memory, Henry, and see if you know what the RAGS method is. What is R in the RAGS method? The Rolling Stone rating for that year. That's right. So that issue at the time that came out, if it got a five star review, then we're going to review it. What is A, Henry? The All Music Rating That's right. for that record for the year. That's right. So All Music is a website. They they claim that they rate and review every record that came out in the United States of America. And if it gets five stars there, we're going to review it. Henry, what does G stand for? Grammy Award winners for that year. That's correct. And it's actually not just award winners, but we will take all the pop records and rock records that were nominated for a Grammy that year, and we will review them. And Henry, what does the S stand for? Special shit we like to say about. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> shit we like is... Um, Another thing we'll do. So if we if we if we have a record that we like that isn't one of the first three, we're going to cover it. And that's the rags method of uh, the scientific rags method that we use to rate and review these records. So hopefully that will cover most of the records that you guys want to hear about. But if it does not, please hit us up on Twitter, Twitter or Twitter? Gmail, Twitter, hit us up on Twitter or Gmail, or however you can get a hold of the fucking show and say, you missed a record. We want to hear this one. We want to hear you talk about this one. Yeah, and we'll put it on here, man. We'll do it. We'll do it. Henry, let's talk about some significant I mean, this is probably the most significant event of the entire year. Maybe the entire Happened in August of 1981. I think so. For our purposes, I think it might be. And it sounded like this. Minio kill the radio star. Yeah, Henry, let me ask you, do you know anybody that actually claims that they, like, saw that live, like, you know, had the wherewithal to be sitting there at 12.01 a.m. August I mean, 1st? nobody I knew. And and think about it. You would have had to have known that that channel was going to be something, and you're just sitting there flipping around cable. Maybe there were only four stations on cable at that time. I don't know. But I knew people that you claimed had that little, it they was saw the, it. It was that little box with the little a levers little, With on little it. buttons on the top. And it yeah. went tick, 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 mm-hmm. tick. And one of them had to be MTV. Right. 
But MTV wasn't MTV. It was just some station back then. Right. And what? how did it start? And so the guy, his name, here's the train here. There's a train right the, by our the studios. The listeners love it. I love that sound. Anyway, uh, his name was Mark Goodman. That's right. Big curly-haired guy. Still has a show on Sirius XM, by the way. I, I think he does the 80s channel on there, by the way. I think you said something. Welcome to MTV, or music television on TV. They may, he may not have even said MTV. I don't think so. I, I bet the clip's on YouTube. I'm sure it is. But the first video they played famously was... Fanny, you? Yeah, the Buggles. Uh, video killed the radio You know, my star. kid likes that song. Oh, I'm sure. It's a decent little pop song. And it wasn't a bad song. No, it wasn't that bad. Now, they played that video like every hour on the hour because I think they only had like four videos to start. But um, so I do remember that. I think I had cable in 81. My parents had got cable. And I remember loving the concept of MTV early on and thinking, I just wish they had more content. You know, like it quickly became like, damn, they need more than 10 videos. But it did take off. So, yeah, that was a huge event for us as, as far as this podcast goes. I saw that one come up and I didn't realize. I was like, holy shit, this is the this is the Moby Dick. This is the white whale of our podcast. I mean, and videos existed before MTV. They did. They did. Right. I guess they played them in England. Sure. Yeah. And I think there was like con- little concert type videos for the Beatles had kind of started that in the seventies. I mean, who of- played them though? Like Rapture was a, was a Blondie video, right? I'm but, sure they played, them on, we, they played them on YouTube, Henry. <laughs> so the next, um, this the ne- one is not quite as significant. Probably. What's weird is that when, when I read it here, it was, um, Okay, it's the Waltons. Yeah, the Waltons' the, last episode aired on August thirteenth. Good night, John Boy. Good night, John Boy. So, but for some reason, when I read the Waltons in my head, it, I went da na 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 na, and that's not right, is it? No, that's not right. That's I don't the, think that's, that's it. Little House on the Prairie. I believe it is. Na 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 na. No, that is it. That is the Waltons. No, na, you nailed it. Na, na, you nailed it. Na, na, na. Wow. You got it. Can you believe I still have that in my head? I don't think I've heard that since the wall. No, 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 The other interesting thing I thought when I was writing this down was now those are, those events are cataclysmically different in, um, meaning or, or size. Mm -hmm. But at the time, the Walton's ending was a much bigger deal to me than MTV started. That was a time when my parents watched the Walton's every fucking week. TV events took on major. It was a major cultural thing. Yeah, like when Mash. I mean, it still is to some degree today, like Breaking Bad or, you know, Game of Thrones is over mm-hmm. or whatever. Game of Thrones? Grain. I love the Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. That should be the new. <laughs> <laughs> Grinter is coming on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Henry, also, uh, we had one other event on August 12th, and this one's pretty big, too. IBM introduced the first PC. It was the PC DOS version 1.0. So everybody's got the C prompt. Now what? Now what do we do? <laughs> what do you do now? And ten, Microsoft. Ten, ten print fuck. Yeah. Twenty print. Oh boy. <laughs> ten. Twenty print you. Ten go to twenty. <laughs> Thirty go to ten. <laughs> Repeat. There it is. And then you set it up and walk away. <laughs> For you young folks out there who have no idea what we're talking about. So enjoy about. 1981, everybody. <laughs> Those were the significant events of August, which is a pretty big month. Henry, let's get into some records. What All do you right. say? Sounds good. Okay, the first record we're going to talk about is by a band called The Gun Club. The album is Fire of Love. And this is an all-music five-star album. And I'm going to play part of the song, Ghost on the Highway.
Memphis Henry was the debut album by the Gun Club. Yep, the first one. And it was shocking to me when we started when I started looking into this record that this album came out of L.A. Uh, this band came out of L.A. Why, I, the, why was that shocking? I guess in my mind, um, I had this sounding like the South. Um, this reminded me of a band that we went to see a long time ago called Chickasaw Mud Puppies. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I could see that. Or maybe uh, Except- drive like. Drive, no, uh, drive, not driving and crying, or drive like Jehu, but another Athens band. Um, Dream so real. You're right, Henry. Is it? But but maybe it doesn't actually sound like that. I just think <laughs> okay. it does. But um, okay. there were, those were the bands that were all around at that same time that we were kind of flirting around with. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely, I guess, uh, th- th- this whole review is going to be colored for me by going backwards mm-hmm. because I never heard the Gun Club. I never did until either. we started doing this. Well, I knew about them, so the only time I, I had read about them was before the internet. Right. I saw some kind of documentary and it was about Black Flag. And the guy that was in, I think is Keith something, was in um, Black Flag and the Gun Club. Or he claimed, whoever that guy was, claimed membership to. we are in the big city. (laughs) I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, it adds color. I like it. I'm going to just leave it. But are you talking he, about Jeffrey Lee Pierce? I can't No, It was a guy that was his roommate and his friend. Okay. I'm going to get to the bottom. So of Jeffrey that. Lee Pierce was the main dude mm-hmm. of the band. Wow. You can't look up past members cause there's about 400 of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah. yeah. Everybody was either in it or, you know, he was once by the way, president of the Blondie fan club. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Really? And he, that's how he knew Debbie Harry. Hmm. This episode is going to have a lot of tie to, tie together. I was going to I was going to ask if you noticed the, the some of the incestuous elements of this. Yeah, it was really <laughs> yeah. it was really interesting that, yeah. that all these got together. But um, yeah, Henry. So I guess I coming to this backwards too. Like a lot of the bands doing my research here that mm-hmm. claim to be influenced by the Gun Club or bands and people that I like. So it was interesting to me. I don't know if we we maybe have discussed this before about why we don't like necessarily pitchfork reviews mm-hmm. um, because I think you brought this up with the Ramones in an earlier episode where it's like it's hard to assess the impact of the Ramones now if you never heard them right, right. then um, I've heard the Black Keys first so when I read that the Black Keys are heavily influenced by the Gun Club my first inclination was. I like Black Keys records better than this. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's funny. So, but I'm not saying I dislike, I'm not saying I dislike this record. I was just saying it's hard to like hear the distilled mm-hmm. 20 year later version and then listen to this. And, and I think it had a huge impact on people is what I'm trying to say. Well, everything I read think was, about it, like some of the records that we've listened to, did we listen to the the first and the second X album, right? Yes, we did. So this, by the time this has come out, just a few months ago, the second X album had come out. That's correct. And there were some other cowpunk bands at the time, I guess, Jason and the Scorchers. Well, let's let right? the audience, maybe the audience doesn't know just like us what they actually sound like. The, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, the most remarkable thing about this band critically was it kind of blended punk rock yeah um uh, country i guess and all, uh, like uh in a way that kind More of astounded that, people and blues blues that yeah. astounded people at but the, time. the but not the blue like i'm talking basic two chord blues which again <laughs> right? think think john spencer blues explosion which yeah. actually he was very a lot of repetitive club. elements in in the song did you notice that yes and simple it, it felt more punk than some of the other cowpunk bands that I'd heard. Well, it's interesting right? too that you brought up X because I, in one of my notes I said this is what I always thought X would or should have sounded yeah. like if Xena was not in the band. Right. Like I always assumed X sounded more like this, which I like this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised by how much blues uh, there was in it, but I, I don't know. There's been some bands in my past too from the '90s, like John Spencer. Mm-hmm. Um, you, and, didn't, you didn't like them that much, or no? Uh, uh, John Spencer, or? the yeah, the Blues Explosion. Yeah, uh, they were okay, but there's interesting little 
uh, bands like that and mm-hmm. like uh, Mojo Nixon. Oh yeah, which yep. I'm going. Which in my past, I'm like, I don't really like blues punk bands. But then you you say, did you like Mojo Nixon? And I'm like, yeah, I love Mojo Nixon. Or did you not? Did you like John Spencer? Oh yeah, I did. Well then you liked blues punk. But as a but as a as a, if you just asked me, I would be like, nah, I don't really like blues. <laughs> so I was pleasantly surprised by this record. I guess again. It's for me not as good as it the people that came after it, but it is definitely worth a listen if you're wanting to hear the beginnings of yeah. this type of sound. Yeah, I was really impressed. Um, and it was better than I was. It, it was more of a straight line to actual actual punk rock, which is something I really enjoyed. And I think that for for whatever this Jeffrey Lee Pierce guy was able to connect a thread that I probably wasn't feeling with X. Me too. Weirdly. Now I want to blame that all on Xene. Uh, I, I want to think that John Doe would have got here on his own, but maybe not. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that it was even better. It was just more real or authentic to well, me. Well, the other I thing guess. too is that con- that this did for me was it connected punk with blues, like like real blues guys, not the bullshit. And it mm-hmm. also connected like I heard Hank Williams Jr. in there. Yeah. So I'm sitting here going, this guy like boiled down the essentials of some of those. Uh, styles of music that I at the time mm-hmm. was going, eh, I don't want to hear blues anymore. <laughs> so this Jeffrey Lee Pierce guy was a hell of a character, apparently. Mm-hmm. And he was buddies with Nick Cave. Right. And that's um, a good buddy to have. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But apparently he was um, on drugs a bit, uh, quite a lot around Nick Cave. I and, think if you were around Nick Cave at the time, that was probably something you were going to be into. And, and a, reportedly, Around the time that they were hanging out, all he wanted to talk about were dinosaurs and some other one topic. That know. probably happens a lot when you're <laughs> you think that's hanging out with Nick Cave doing heroin. But um, I don't know. But I would love to talk dinosaurs with Nick Cave too. But there are a lot of people in that band. He was just a, a an enigmatic uh, character. Yes, you know? and so uh, I, I'm. This is weird. I'm not going to recommend this record. Um. It was real close for me, but again, and Henry hates this, but my criteria is, is it something from the eighties that had, that you, yes, I hate that criteria. you need to go back. And I, I think this is an important record that has a, its own sound, but it really, I don't think is essential to the eighties. So I'm not going to recommend it. I'm going to recommend it because I, I think it's part of the reason that you should listen to it is because it's not trapped in amber. In 1981. There you I go. It, so. Right. So, uh, yeah, The Gun Club. Anything else you want to say about that one before we move on? Uh, uh, it was a good record. Yes, and I, I, I totally yeah. agree with that. Henry, tell us what the next record is. All right, be. the next record we're going to listen to. I'm so excited. Is, uh, is Debbie Harry's Cuckoo. And here's a uh, part of a track called The Jam Was Moving. put this on here because it's stuff we think we might this, like this, right this fell under the stuff we like category mm-hmm. but henry the reason i liked it 
was because this record represents everything that this fucking show is about to me. It is a record that I missed the first time around. It is a record that no one really thought a lot of. It is a record that, to me, is quintessential to the 80s and also is like the root of a little tree that grows into so many different parts of the 80s that that there's so much other 80s music that all of you folks out there already know about that this started. Now, with all that said... It seemed like a it's great... It's not the greatest record in the world. <laughs> hey, God damn it. You're not going to let me piss on it. I was hoping to piss on it. Uh, yeah, all it seems like a great idea. <laughs> you know, when you've got all the superstars, you've got De- Debbie Harry, you've got Chris Stein, you've got who else? Well, let's let's um, let's break it down. So Chris the, Stein and Debbie Harry are on break from Blondie. From Blondie. Debbie Harry yes. is being pushed by record companies to do a solo record. And right. what, what do they want? They want Blondie without all the without, without the guys standing mm-hmm, around. Mm-hmm. So they want to push the sex symbol. Debbie's like, I don't do anything except what I want to do. I'm going to be an artist. And she goes and she picks out the hot shot of the moment producers, Bernard Edwards and Nile Rodgers. Right, from Nile Rodgers. That's who I was going to Now, Henry, up. what had they just finished doing before they worked on this record? Do you know? I can't. No, I don't remember. They had just finished Diana by Diana oh, Ross. Oh, we reviewed that a year ago. We sure did. So these guys were on a roll. Uh, that is right that they were working on that. That is right. They were. And they were just less than a year away from working on Like a Virgin with Madonna. And then a little bit further down the road from that, they were going to work on a little record called Let's Dance. So it's like you can forgive them for, um, because of everything else they've been associated with. What the hell happened here? In all actuality, now Rogers has actually said that he felt terrible about this record because it did end up ruining Debbie Harry a little bit, her solo career, because it was a setback. However, he said, without this album helping him figure out, because he and Bernard were definitely trying to figure out how to meld disco, Mm -hmm. funk, and pop. He said without this record, it was exactly what he needed to go through so that he could find Like a Virgin and Let's Dance. But he wished he'd found it for Debbie because... So he did did his learning... They had all been in the studio together in the 70s a couple times and had become really good friends. So he was big buddies with Debbie Harry. Yeah. And then he felt like he kind of messed up his pooped on her career a little bit with this one. <laughs> I just, I the think, songs but just by the there. way, I, That's it. I disagree with you a little bit. I think the songs are fascinating. I think it's definitely something you should listen to if you want to hear about the, the origins of 80s music. And another thing that I'm, I'm completely enamored with that I don't think Henry ever has been is I'm completely enamored with the band, the power station really, and Robert Palmer. Uh And I think they're quintessentially eighties and I love them. Um, basically everybody that was in the power power plays on this record, except the dude from Duran Duran. But where are the fucking songs? songs And also (laughs) just so you know, (laughs) the band record this, all of this music was recorded at the power station studio which Nile Rodgers was a big part of, and that's where the the name, the power station, comes from. So there's all these little... This is like the root, Henry, of all these little things that are going to happen five or six years later. How about this? Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh and Gerald Casale from Devo are on this record, uh, Uh, singing background uh, tracks. Um, There's all all kinds of 80s stuff in here. But but the record sucked. That's the problem. It's not a bad record. It's just... Uh, and whose idea was that cover, anyway? Who? I mean, tell me, you actually like H.R. Geiger stuff. Whew. I was just getting to the cover art. Cover art. Great is this cover. <laughs> so... I hate this So this, this Geiger dude, who uh, had, just, had just done Ridley Scott's Alien, another touchdown. Well, so we just have... Didn't they, didn't they do him... More than he did that. So, so he does <laughs> this cover for Debbie Harry, which is, let's, let's, let's do that. Let's say this as well. All right. Well, Debbie Harry with that cover is deconstructing the whole image that the record company wanted for her of this beautiful icon, you know, like sexy pop star. Yeah. And she does an alien thing yeah. pushing things Put, through her face. Come on. This is art. swords, big swords through her face. I love this cover. 
It's also a cover that I, I saw in your bedroom a lot. Yes. Um, because you had a girlfriend that had that poster. I was going to mention that. And that's why you hate it. Is that so why let's, I hate let's, it? Let's be, let's, that, folks, we're going to have to break down reality here. <laughs> LaVon had this on her wall, did she? And it annoyed me. Yes, and it really annoyed the <laughs> shit out of you. But I love that cover. I wonder if she ever even listened to this album. Now, as much as I was so excited to cover this record and... I really want to recommend it. Eh. It's a near miss for me. But I will say this. If you're really an 80s head and you want to hear the roots of some of the other streams of things that we're going to talk about later that I think Henry will agree are pretty good uh, 80s music, this is where it started. And a lot of the people working on this were amazing 80s artists. Henry hates this record, though, pretty much. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm not going to recommend it. Okay. it it's not awful. It's just not great. It's meh. It's man for Henry. All right. For me. The next record we're going to cover is The Kinks. Yep, The Kinks were still doing it in 81. And this, the album is called Give the People What They Want. This was a Rolling Stone five-star review at the time. And we are going to play the song Better Things. first contact with the kinks was not this album this was the this record was the beginning from what i've read of a resurgence with these guys so they had apparently been through the 60s uh, girl you really got me now right and then they went through some sort of theatrical period that i'm, I'm not incredibly familiar with but this was the first record coming out of that well it wasn't just theatrical but they they did right. a lot of concept records okay which, which a lot of people and i'm unfamiliar with those really like, yeah but um but my first contact with the kinks was the record after this which had come dance the video it's yeah, in tv it's, but it's got this it, i don't know that they were steel drums but they certainly sounded like it with the with the keyboards and so my first i didn't back then in 1983 i was 12 I didn't know that the guys who did Girl, You Really Got Me Now were the same guys that were doing Come Dancing. So I'm thinking the kinks to Come Dancing, that's kind of, mm, I need like to rock out or something. This, I mean, this is nice, but. Well, for me, the I'm comparison. I'm 12 and want to, yeah, so my first thought was like that the kinks weren't that. Yeah, it wasn't until much later in life when I started putting music together that I realized that. But. It's interesting for me going back to review this. I had the same kind of experience. My first experience with the Kinks was Come Dancing mm -hmm. uh, as a kid because it was all over MTV. Did you know that it was the same guys? That I didn't did that? until I, I until I think my dad told me because my dad liked the Kinks as a kid. But the interesting part, Henry, is I compared this in my head to my first interaction with Robert Plant. Oh, really? Was that um, I'm in the mood for melody? I'm in the mood for melody. And Not the, even Led Zeppelin. No, but then my dad <laughs> yeah. said that's that guy used to be cool. Like you didn't. Know. That was the guy from from Stairway to Heaven, and I was like, what? <laughs> what like, happened to that guy? And hilarious. I think this is a similar thing. I was like, what happened to the you really got me guy? But so, the other funny thing is, 
when I was reviewing, uh, doing my research, Henry, did you see a lot of people called this the mid-career kinks? Uh-huh. When I was a kid, he looked like the old kink. This is like <laughs> this is mid-career. This is like you lost it, buddy. But um, <laughs> with funny. that said, I don't know why, but uh, this record, the one that we're talking about, um, give the people what they want, is one of the first records that was in my vinyl collection. Huh. I think it was one of those that someone had given me. It's one of these records that I think a lot of Kinks fans are split on. Some Kinks fans really like it, and others think it's kind of a throwaway. Mm-hmm. I really like it, but I think it was because I, I had it as part of it. But now going back and looking at what he was trying to do, mm-hmm. I think it just proves what a master songwriter that, yeah. that Ray Davies is. Because like you just said, Henry, this is like their third iteration at this point. Yeah. And here, maybe this is what, first of all, I want to go on the um, everything I'm going to say. Uh, I loved it. Loved the record. Loved, loved, loved it. This is their 18th from beginning full length to, LP. From beginning to end. I haven't really, I mean, I'm going to confess this. I haven't listened to a Kinks record from beginning to end before. Um, and I was really surprised. <laughs> you know, those, there was, I, want, I don't know why. I mean, they were obviously very popular. Right. They were superstars, right? I, and that's a good question because I think they always get a short shift. Um, I mean, in the seventies, they wrote some of the most revered, critically revered concept records. In the sixties, they wrote some of the biggest pop hits. But here's the thing, Henry. Listening to this, did you uh, not go, this is so good. How come the Rolling Stones in the eighties yeah, were covered like they so, yeah. these guys are contemporaries and this record's every bit as good as Tattoo You. So better things. Did you hear the Kinks version first or was it somebody else? I swear to God, I must have heard somebody else play better things. No, I, because I, think, I remember the song. Well, I think because I had this one, I, I heard it here first. I swear, I, I, I think I heard someone else cover the song. And, you know, this, uh, as we'll see later, everybody was covering the kinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's going to be part of our crossover with yeah. another record. But the other, the other so, funny thing is I think Ray Davies had made a conscious effort with this record to reclaim some of the commercial space, mm-hmm. make a little money that like bands like the Cheap Trick, or bands mm-hmm. like the cheap bands like Cheap mm-hmm. Trick and Van Halen were kind of ripping their their stuff off and taking over. I just thought it was funny that he's like songwriting wise, he's just a master. He can just do it, yeah, if he wants to. And then there's songs on there like I don't know if you if you if you really broke down like Destroyer. So, yeah, he ripped off their own riff. He riffs off his own riff and turns it into like a different song, like trying to make it a commercial pop song. Just like <laughs> I'm going to take my own song since everyone else was ripping me off yes, and really. rip himself off. And then it's really a song about depression yeah. and how shitty things are. And no, so, and some there were some. I mean, there were subject matter that was, uh, I mean, I guess went well in 1981. Are we going to talk about my favorite song on the record? So when, and I'll tell the audience as I listen to it, I try to daddy. I try not to pollute uh, our discussion. I like to get it, get it all to come out on the pod, but I could not resist telling Chris, like, what, (laughs) what was this? What is this shit? Because he writes this amazing song, but, but, but damn it. The song is it's called about, Art Lover. You can't say come to daddy. I mean. This song is about a, a pedophile. I get, I guess. Mm, yeah, I mean, it is. sometimes, in, or isn't it true that in England or whatever, that sometimes lovers call, like, call their man boyfriend daddy sometimes come on come here daddy or whatever i mean isn't it what they don't they do that hell they do it now you <laughs> hits i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you go out on this limb anyway um i yeah, can't say I it's personally a pet- think that this song is about pedophilia um personally but you know you, you the um, lyrics are obviously you can uh that you can make them out pretty good so if you want to go listen to it um i'll just say the lyric, I'm not a flasher in a raincoat. I'm not a dirty old man. I'm not going to snatch you from your mother. I'm okay. an art lover. All right. Come right. to daddy. Um, pretty Ugh. little legs, I want to draw them. Pure white skin like porcelain. She could be 18. Right? I'm an art lover. Come to daddy. <laughs> this is terrible. Little girl don't notice me watching as, in, as she innocently plays. She can't see me staring at her because I'm always wearing shade. 
I, I mean, that's pretty. I, I, the real there's question. Nothing that, there's the nothing in the song that says, "Hey, you're underage." The interesting the question here is: Could this song make an album now? I don't think you could t- write that. <laughs> could song. you do this song now? I don't know. I mean, you, I've heard worse. I mean, yeah, probably. It's probably fine. I love the song because uh, Ray sings it in such that like creepy, but also is he or is he not talking about this kind of way where it's it's kind of up in the air. So, what's the deal with Dave? Like, is Dave just kind of the? Do people consider him the lesser of the two brothers? Oh my gosh, you, you know, need, you need to go back and do no. the whole Kinks thing. This is the oasis of the sixties and early seventies. These guys would get in fist fights with each other. I've heard of this. Yes. They all the the Kinks, like Ray and Dave always hated each other. So Ray is like seventy some years old now. Right. And they the last I heard was they were trying to get the Kinks back together again one more time. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because the drummer, I realized, has been with them the whole time. But he's always quiet. Like, I guess he just waits for the two of them to get over their, their bullshit. I think that keyboard player died, too, recently, he did. didn't he? Yeah. So, uh, anyway. That's another interesting part. The three original members of the Kinks were all on this record, which is their 18th record by 81. That's pretty impressive that they all kind of hung together. Um, that well, anyway. that way. But this song, this album, I, it, I probably got off track. But this album sounds very eighties, doesn't it, Henry? I mean, it's it's a it, good. It does, rock but record. not overly dated. Like it doesn't. The the guitar tones are right. Um, it's it's not over. It's just not over much. But I would put it right there with a good cheap trick record from the same time period. Like yep. it's doing the same stuff, and it's funny because I think he obviously could do. He's such a good songwriter. He could do that. And then come back with their next album, which set them up perfectly to have a video and a pop hit, you know, like an actual hit again, which is where we found out about the Kinks for a whole new generation. So I'm actually going to recommend this one. Yep. Um, I thought I think it's great. And uh, you should definitely check it out. Big thumbs up from me, too. All right, Henry, what's our next record? The next record we're going to review is Pretenders, uh, Pretenders 2. Uh, and this is comes out of the shit we like category. Uh, we're going to play this uh, part of the song called Talk of the Town. It's such a drive to want something sometime. Leads to another, I know. Was a time I wanted you for mine. Nobody knew. You arrived like a day, just like a cloud. I made a wish, I said it out loud. To feel, I'd like to know, but why should I? Who are you then? Who are you now? Well, come and lay me by night, by the highbrow. Back in my room, I wonder that I sit on the bed and look at the sky. Up in the sky, how do you behave? Like the talk of the time. So Pretenders 2, uh, I I have come up with an alternative title for it, which is Now We're Getting Horny. (laughs) (laughs) As evinced by (laughs) the two songs, Bad Boys Get Spanked and The Adulteress. I, I I just I love that I'm 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 gonna put the colon pretenders oh. too colon now we're getting horny as a as a lifelong pretenders fan I've always thought of Chrissy Hine as overly horny so I didn't know it actually started coming out on two but I love how that that 
that's that's your take on it. That's, that's what, great. That's why I really like the record cover on this one a lot. I gotta say, <laughs> pretenders too. Let's get horny. <laughs> well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take an I, I think I'm taking an alternate view at least to um, the status quo opinion of this record. I find this to be the best pretenders record uh, of their entire that's, catalog. That's a tough call. I, I like it better than the first LP. I definitely am a huge James Honeyman Scott fanatic. Yeah, so the I first two Pretenders records, to me, everything after that is kind of downhill. But I like this one better than the first one. Stand, uh, regular opinion, or what, what, I don't know what to call that. It's Common Wisdom common is wisdom, yeah. that Pretenders debut album is much better than this. I, I disagree. Okay, I can't say that it's much better, but it is better. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. But really, this is like, you know, how do you argue? You have to argue. You're arguing that they just repeated themselves. That's all. I well, mean, I will, that's what people I say. I will agree under one circumstance, which I think is what a lot of the critics took and made a, um, a highbrow, uh-huh. elitist uh, determination about, which is two of the songs on this record were singles mm-hmm. that had come out in between the first record and this one, and they just slop, slapped them on. You think that's the record? You think that's what impacted their opinion? Because those two songs kind of were done with the first sessions, and they were leftovers. Mm-hmm. They both turned out to be um, actual hits because the Pretenders were so hot mm-hmm. at the time. I personally say I don't give a fuck if you if those two songs are on the record. And if you put those two songs with the others, it's a better record to me. Now, here's another little thing that people what? don't like. A lot of the critics and stuff say they don't sound as raw as they did on the first record. It's a little more polished because the well, record sure. companies, they were hot, and the record company pushed them to get this one done, and they glossed it a little bit. Guess what? I like it better, Glossy. These motherfuckers were making pop music. They thought they were making punk music, but they weren't. They were making new wave <laughs> music. They were the start of new wave, and this is pop music, and it sounds better with a little gloss. Yeah, on it. and I just say, yeah, I, I could have done without the gloss. I like the first record better than the second. It's just a matter of perspective. Um, I mean, but this was the, but this, um, this was the end of the Pretenders. This was the first and second record. You could put them together in one, on on one disc, and be okay. They they both uh, they match together as as one. Yeah, I mean whole. we are splitting hairs because really I mean, when you look back on it, this was a matter of eighteen months of the band or yeah, less. Yeah, so it is all of one. I mean time. James Honeyman Scott died right after this came out. You know they imploded and you know drugs. Yeah, they, and all I don't that. know if you know the 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 sports, they they kick Pete Farndon out. Oh, yeah. because of his drug uh, problems Mm -hmm. and i think it was less than a weekend after they kicked they had the band meeting to kick pete out uh james honeyman scott uh died of an overdose damn so you know there's some hardcore drug action going on when the one guy kicks the other helps kick the other guy out and then he has an overdose i can't recommend it but i can say it's good so i'm going to take a completely different tack from henry Uh, and by the way there was a three-year break in between this record and the next Pretenders record because they lost two of their members. It is astonishing to me how good the Pretenders were for so long after losing two key members like Mm -hmm. that. And I think it's a credit to Chrissy Hine, who I think if she had been a man, would have got a lot more credit for carrying Uh, on. It's like if Led Zeppelin had lost two members and they just carried on and still made great records. There are great records we're going to cover from the Pretenders later in this decade, mm-hmm. but these two are the definitive. But I mean, she lost, you could argue, one of the great guitar players of the 80s, even though he was only on these two records. Yeah, he could have been as good as Johnny Marr. Well, Johnny Marr was like a, mm-hmm. uh, by his own admission, like a big, uh, mm-hmm. ripped off a lot of James Honeyman Scott. But I'm going to not only recommend this, I'm going to call this. 80s canon this album stop trying to make 80s canon happen this album is 80s canon it must be listened to if you are an aficionado of the 80s yeah, it was all right <laughs> well, it wasn't pretenders one canon canon 80s canon this is canon. That's, that's gonna have to be a thing for you it is a thing for 80s me. 80s canon i've already got two records in 80s canon this and journey escape Canon. You have to write it. 
<laughs> I'm going to start keeping the list because it bothers you so much. It does bother me. This is canon. Okay, uh, the next record we're going to cover, which I can tell you right now is not canon, but might be good, is uh, by Luther Vandross, and it's called Never Too Much. And this was a Rolling Stone five-star record and a Grammy nominee. And the song we're going to play is the title track, Never Too Much. record not canon what the hell not canon what the hell what how do you define what's in it what is canon what is not why am i even talking about this canon is definitively 80s must hear music this is not canon okay so would you admit though that it probably sets the stage for luther vandross his whole sound and everything Oh, I, in my personal opinion, yeah. it's the best Luther Vandross record. So I didn't know this. It also he set he, the sound for '80s R&B, don't you think? Mm, I mean, there'd be no Billy Ocean without Luther Vandross. Okay, there's that. But I was thinking about and some a lot of, of probably R&B people. But if are you think about it, like I, so, I was looking at this. But this record was. Um, why did we review it? It was. Oh, it's a, a double whammy. Was Rolling it, Stone five-star review and a Grammy. Was it a Grammy win, winner? So I know that of the top 80, uh, the, the top R&B albums in 1981. So it goes. It's lot, right up there with we, Roger by Roger. <laughs> we reviewed a lot of these. So it was like Hotter Than July takes us from January all the way through half of February. Then it's like the Gap Man. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Oh, yeah, they're really so good. Then it was um, somebody called Yarbo and Peebles. Never heard of them. So, and then it was the Gap Band again. The Gap Man, the Gap Man. Smokey Robinson's being with you for five weeks. Then um, uh, somebody radio featuring Ray Parker. But then at the start of the summer, fucking Rick James from the jump. Bam. It is all Rick James forever, 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 all the way into the end of into mid October. So it gets you through summer into fall. It's still the number one R and B album, Rick James. Followed by then it was Breaking Away for Two Weeks by Al Jerome. Uh, sucked. And then that ridiculous Roger record. But Luther Vandros, this album, Never Too Much, was the number one R and B album for one week. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> November fourteenth. It, um it's but I heard elements of there's one song on here particularly that sounds like a blatant Rick James trying to be kind of song. Which song was that? It's like he was trying to make it happen. Let me. I wrote it down in the notes here. I also want to say while Henry's looking that up, yeah. um, my main interest going into Luther Vanders uh, uh, listening to this record was. Luther Vandross had a huge career as a backup vocalist uh-huh. before this in the 70s. He'd backed up Todd Rundgren, Judy Collins, Shaka Khan, Bette Midler, Diana Ross, Benny King, and Donna Summer. But he also is famous for helping uh, David Bowie come up with all the uh, white 
white boy, what do you, what do you call that, blue-eyed soul stuff that he did oh, on yeah. Young Americans when Bowie was going through his I Want to Be a Black Man phase. Oh, yeah. It was Luther that helped him work on all that. And he's in the documentary about that, which is real interesting to see. But so I was kind of jazzed up for that uh, and happy to see it. And in the in I hate to say in the white world, but in the <laughs> in the white pop well, world, uh, it, this is kind of uh, like the Cheryl Crow story where Cheryl Crow toiled. Oh, yeah. For, the backup singer for. Yeah. Michael so Jackson I was happy. Like I was way open to listen to this Luther record because I was like, man, it's good to see somebody that's been a working backup singer guy get his shot and he did well i mean he so, became a legend so the record had really good some really good hooks on it and the bass parts and the songwriting in that song she's a super lady right that's the rick james this okay i can see that i felt like he was trying to be that right and this seemed like i don't know this to be true but the last song on it was one that he didn't write it was a dion warwick it's a dion song. warwick song yeah and but it was not written. Uh, Bert Bacharach wrote it, right? And it was this seven-minute sweeping thing where his voice. I mean, this guy had. That's one of his it, most famous. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's got silky smooth top and bottom of the register, right? So he's not just a one-trick pony. Like you could point to, you know, this was the year or shortly before where. Um, the Commodores did that one record with Lionel Richie, and everybody decided he was a big star and he was going to go and be, a, you know, God's gift, right? Right. But Luther uh, managed to hit, you know, hit this album out first. I just I found that the choruses went on way too long. They went on and on and on at the end. I don't know if that was a flaw in the songwriting. Did he write all these? Did you look into That's that? That's what I was looking at right now because I know. He was um, credited as the songwriter on most of these songs, mm -hmm. but he had a partner, which that's why I was trying to look up the partner's name because the partner was a bass player. And I was thinking when you said that one bass line reminded you of Rick James, I was wondering mm -hmm. if that bass player was influenced by Rick James. So I was trying to look that up, but he either wrote or co-wrote everything but the Dion Warwick song. So he, if you're going to compare uh, Luther Vandross and Al Jarreau, Luther Vandross wins. Oh, right. oh solidly, away, I would think, yeah. Um, Sugar and Spice is kind of a badass song if you really listen to it with honest ears, I think. Right. The album, the whole thing is is that sound. And, I mean, he, uh, you know, Luther Vandross, was Mr. Smooth and Sexy. Right. You know, the world at that time did not know he was gay. No. You know? They didn't know. He was, it. he called it... Um, some of the, the people he knew said that he would call it being in the life, you know, which is right. an interesting way to put it. Well, and it's also like, I mean, putting on Luther on, you know, mm -hmm. with your with your significant other was became a, I mean, that's just what you did. You, you turned the lights down and put on some Luther. And I wonder how many times we're going to see, I mean, the, the as... And by the way, the bass player's name and his his partner was his, his name is Anthony Jackson. Anthony Jackson. Yeah, and he he was he helped write a lot of these songs too. I mean, I, I suppose um, homophobia was pretty rampant and in the mainstream back then. You just didn't come out. I mean, Freddie Mercury didn't come out either. You know. Right, and I think, so, and, I, and again, I don't want to speak out of church, out of church, out of. Out of church. <laughs> But I think in the even in the in the black uh, oh, R and B, yeah. it probably would have been a, a worse than if I know that there was the glam rock period in the seventies where you know mm -hmm. flirting with being homosexual was cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that was as big a deal in the R and B community, so it was probably harder for Luther Vandross. So he was um, at the time. He was born in fifty one. So he was thirty years old. When this, thirty years old, and like we said, he had worked for all, over ten years as a. Like a but renowned he was also backup singer. In, he did two records with a band with a band called Luther. Right. What was up with that? Right. And I think it was one of those things where they had tried to break him earlier. With, uh -huh. And from my research, what happened was they claimed it was a band instead of him because the record didn't do what they wanted. Oh. And they didn't want to spoil the, the His name. name. <laughs> so they quickly called it that. Um, but this is technically his debut solo studio album. Yeah. Even though really that it, 
that, it, that one was. And he produced it with another guy. So. Yeah, I, I was so found it. Did you notice this, Henry? I'm just listening to it because when you said the choruses went on way too long. I think to, um, to, to me. There's only seven songs on this record. Yeah, I thought, I was like, is this an EP? Is Have I got it right? Is this wrong? Yeah, it's just like. There's only seven songs, seven and the last on one it. is seven minutes long. So yeah, it's, it's like really long. doubled up. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great record. I, I We joke about canon. I don't think that it's canon. But I, de- I definitely think it's a. Uh, yeah, you know. I guess pleasantly surprised. I, it's obvious I don't know a lot about R and B. That's you know, and I want to preface it. I don't, I don't know that I'm a good judge of what con- good. To, well, but we say R&B this all the time. Are. But I, I, I'm starting to feel like maybe we are a good judge. And here's my reason. Hear me out. There's two genres, three genres of music that we're not the greatest at. But maybe we're giving the common man's ear maybe. to it. The three genres are country. 80s country, uh-huh. R&B, and heavy metal. And I feel like we've done a good job, especially with heavy metal going, you know what? Uh, High and Dry is a pretty pretty damn good record. <laughs> so is this British Steel. But I'm not so big now on the Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I feel like I, we definitely are. No, listen, if you're a fan of our show, even though we don't know R&B really well, go with this record over Al Jarreau. And you're well, going to yeah. be a happy person. We shot all over Al Jarreau's record. Right. Um, I, but I, I don't know that I could recommend it. I would, I, I liked it. I didn't think it was great. I like Luther Vanders as a performer. Um, I don't care for the song selection here. And I, or, and I'm, I think that his best work was ahead of him. I agree. I'm not going to recommend this, not because I disliked it, just because I didn't think it was quite up to a recommendation. And I also think there's going to be better Luther yeah. Vandross on the way. Um, so I'm not going to recommend this record either, Henry. But let's, uh, let's, it's enough of us talking. Let's hear what, uh, Megan has to say. Okay. everyone, it's Megan, the millennial representative for 80s Music Exposed. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, I'm recording this on December 8th, and I just can't believe that Thanksgiving has already passed and we're really not that far away from Christmas. It's crazy. Of course, today is the anniversary of John Lennon's murder in New York City. Uh, We did cover his... um, the Double Fantasy album in one of our previous episodes. So if you're feeling a little bit nostalgic and would like to um, hear us talk about that album, check it out. For this episode, we're talking August 1981. And we've got great albums this month. Uh, although I'll be honest, I haven't listened to the Luther Vandross album or the Debbie Harry solo album because that's what Chris and Henry do. I don't actually have to listen to all of the albums, so um, I'll, I'll stick with that. Um, except like with Blondie and Debbie Harry, like I feel like if I want to listen to Debbie Harry sing, I'm just going to listen to Blondie, except for the songs One Way or Another and Call Me, because I just feel like those songs are so overplayed, especially Call Me. I'd be fine with never hearing that song ever again. Uh, Fire of Love by The Gun Club is such an awesome punk record. And I love the Kinks. Um, This album um, that we're covering this month for them isn't one of my favorites, but it's solid. Um, With The Pretenders 2, though, I had to pick that album as my pick for the month because this album is so good, and Chrissy Hind is just such a badass. I always felt a real kinship with her and kind of have always looked up to her. Because she grew up in the Midwest, and she's talked before in interviews about how she didn't really like feel like she fit in and really struggled with that. Of course, that ended up helping her in her career. And she's just such, I mean, she plays guitar, she writes songs, like just such a great artist all around. And um, I'm pretty sure she's, they still go out and tour. So I'd love to see them eventually. I found it interesting that um, on this album, there's a Kinks cover, and Chrissy Hind also had a romantic relationship with Ray Davies of the Kinks. Um, So it's just kind of funny that overlap uh, with this month. 
um, The Pretenders 2, this album, it was also important because it was the last album of theirs with James Honeyman Scott and Peter Farndon. Unfortunately, uh, they had pretty bad drug problems and um, but it really split the band apart. And after this album, there was a pretty long hiatus before they actually released anything new. But this album, I it's it always sounds pretty fresh. Um, I definitely listen to it um, every once in a while and enjoy revisiting it. Hopefully you do too. Because the holidays are approaching, um, I'm hoping that somebody gets me a record player because the record player that I have had since I was 14, um, unfortunately, it took a shit on me um, and it's not working anymore, um, which I mean, it had a good run. So I guess I shouldn't say that it took a shit because it was just old. But I have all these records, and I haven't really been able to listen to any vinyl um, for the past like three, four months. So I'm really hoping I get a new one. Um, the one that I had previously, it also had a cassette player, a CD player, and uh, you could listen to the radio on it. So it had everything. Hoping that maybe my new one also has all those features. Um, I don't have any concerts coming up so far for 2020, which is kind of a bummer. So if you know of any like tours coming up, um, particularly for like 80s post-punk and like new wave artists, because if you haven't noticed, that's kind of my thing, uh, please let me know. Um, I, I definitely want to get some concert on the books. Um, that's one of my favorite pastimes. And I always love um, telling you guys about um, the shows that I go to. So I'm hoping some come up. I know The Cure were kind of there was like a rumor going around that they were going to tour um, in 2020, but I, I honestly don't believe that that's going to happen. I, I'd love for it to, but it's, it's probably not. Anyway, if you enjoy our show, uh, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it, and we love hearing from you. So um, you can also get a hold of us on all of our social medias. We're 80s Music Exposed on Facebook at 80s374 on Instagram, at 80s Exposed on Twitter, or you can shoot us an email. Uh, Henry and Chris will respond to the emails. And that email address is 80smusicexposed at gmail.com. Feel free to follow me, too, if you'd like. Um, I'm Megan Maddox on Facebook and Bastards of Young 92 on Instagram. Next month, we've got, well, next episode, I should say, We've got some killer albums, including an album by one of my favorite bands of all time, The Replacements. So definitely check that out. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Okay, so Henry, I'm guessing that you're not going to pick... Uh, the Debbie Harry record as your pick of the month. I will or not pick be of the picking episode. Debbie Harry. I will not be picking the Pretenders, and I will not be picking Luther Vandross. Guess what? I'm going to pick. Well, you're either going to do a double pick, or you're going to pick the Kinks. Give the people what they want. <laughs> this is a very difficult selection. Really? Okay. Yeah. It was close for you uh, because th those were the two surprises for me: the so, Gun Club, or the Gun Club, Kinks. or the Kinks. And you went with? I'm going with the Gun Club. Wow. And the reason is because. Uh, if you don't know who the kinks are by now, you probably, you know, don't, uh, and you owe it to yourself. You probably haven't heard of the gun club, or at least more of us listening to this haven't heard of the gun club than have probably. So I would urge you to go out and listen to that because it's the most challenging listen, listen. And for me, the most pleasant. Yeah. And I'm going to say, uh, which we didn't mention earlier, but I really found this episode to be right in my wheelhouse of what we started the show for, because, there's a lot of great things on this uh, episode that I didn't know about, mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that you guys out there didn't know about. But one thing I didn't mention that we forgot, Henry, was the Pretenders when we were talking about them. Yeah. They covered two kink songs, one on each of their first two records, which was interesting to me because the Kinks put out a record contemporaneously with them that's just as good, and they're there paying homage to their heroes and their heroes are right there putting records out and chrissy hine dated ray davies i didn't know that oh my yes God. yes wow they okay. were together Boyf okay so see we boyfriend girlfriend oh man there's so there's a lot of crossover and, and the guy in the gun club was president of the debbie harry fan club Ooh, 
I mean, this is all. Is there a connection between Debbie Luther. Harry and Luther Vandross or Debbie Harry and the Kinks? Oh, I, I guarantee you, if we looked a little further, Luther has a connection you know, to Nile Rodgers, and Nile Rodgers is connected. Weirdly to enough, uh, as we've done a little bit of research and listened to these, I found uh, artists that were sort of partitioned out in my head um, as as being separate, as having worked together in in some weird aspect or something. Right. Even though I might have like like this one guy's Uber commercial or whatever, but worked with this other guy, right? Who was the most groundbreaking, you know, art guy in the world? Like, you know, we probably went through that with um, Peter Gabriel and sure and uh, Phil Collins and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that's been really cool. Well, I am going to shocker uh, recommend for the episode the Pretenders, Pretenders Two. I think it's canon. I think it has to be listened to. So that's my recommend. But I will say, as a shout-out, the Gun Club fits everything that I like about this episode because I didn't know about it, and it turned yeah. out to be great. So it's it's worth a listen to. But um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my – if you only can listen to one, listen to Pretenders 2. There you have it, folks. Decisions have been made. Categories have been drawn. I have to come up with my equivalent of, of 80s canon. I have to be like – the artistic selection of the month. Why don't you or, you think on you think on what you're going to call that, buddy? Because I've got the word canon already, can. like eighties trademark, eighties canon. It's like some Star Wars nerd shit right there. <laughs> Many thanks to our show producer Greg Levin, and if you like the way we sound, you can talk to him at Urban Dweller U R B N D W E L L R on Instagram or at NBC Greg on Twitter. Thanks. I can't ever say that one. Thankful to have him on our team. <laughs> I, I stumble on that every time. Do you really? Yes. <laughs> and many thanks to Megan Maddox. I've never seen her name. I love right. that. We do the same thing Megan every Maddox, time. Maddox. Maddox. And I always they tell me it's wrong every time. She's our social <laughs> media maven. So if you want to start a social media argument with us, you'll probably be arguing with her. Hey, Chris, guess what? What's that? I made you a mixtape.